Hey guys, remember a few weeks ago when Lauren and I told you that we had a bunch of really cool guests coming up? Well, we didn't lie, but uh, kind of a, a embarrassment of riches, we're recording these shows like back to back to back, so you're going to hear us talking from like weeks in the past, and with the way things move right now, we actually have no idea what's going on like as you're listening to this right now. So maybe we should do like that Dana Carvey SNL bit and just predict what might be happening in the future uh, to seem relevant. Oh, no. My predictions, if we did that bit, would be so dark and depressing. Well, yeah. Um, welcome to the world. I, I think that's just reality right now. So if we sound a little like out of touch or say something that's like, this this sounds like these people are living in the past. Hey, we are. We're living in the past. Literally. Yeah. So, Eric, how about uh, those Beanie Babies? Did you collect any of the new ones? I have so many Beanie Babies. I am the world's number one fan of Beanie Babies by the company Ty. <laughs> I love how they are babies with beans in them. All right. Can I trade you some of your Beanie Babies for my Furby and my Tamagotchi? Only if you also give me pogs. <laughs> okay, the, this was a this was like a bit, but actually, um, you sent me dinner from your restaurant, and there was a little a container that came with it of uh, a condiment, it, and it was called Chili Crisp. And the first thing I thought of was that the container would be perfect for holding pogs. I haven't owned pogs in thirty years. <laughs> I remember getting um, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers pogs from McDonald's, and they were so sick. You mean uh, you mean like a couple days ago, right? I, here in the past. Yes, here in, I I still remember. <laughs> I remember I woke up this morning, went to McDonald's and got pogs. Went to seventh grade gym, felt uh, inadequate because I'm not that athletic. Had a big crush on Sarah Von Gillern who this is true, went on to be in, uh, uh, not Dancing with the Stars, but one of the other network dancing TV shows and did not respond to my Instagram DMs the last time I was in LA. I didn't mean to hit such a nerve here on this podcast that people will now play on their Walkman. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yo! Everybody, this is Shira. Hello. Dang it! <laughs> <laughs> this is Shira, progressive of power. I'm Lauren, and I'm Eric. We recorded Great. an interview before this, and we're out of gas. There's nothing left, so we're just gonna be weird and running on fumes for the rest of this. Get ready to deal with it. Which is too bad because there is. This is probably the most notes I've ever taken for an episode. Honestly, I feel like every moment in this episode is explosive. Yes, this is a big one, and we need to pull it together because I think our fans and our listeners and the people who are spitefully enjoying the show as well are going to want to hear how we feel about Save the Cat. Yeah, and so what's funny is I just edited this this episode two days ago, the one with James D'Amato, and I don't remember whether we kept in his interesting anecdote about how this episode got its name, where it was a placeholder that ended up sticking um, so for those of you who don't know, Save the Cat is, is, uh, the name of a very popular, like almost, almost kind of trite screen, not trite, but what's the word where something's like, like overexposed screenwriting book. 
but it also literally talks about what's happening in this episode. Yeah, and according to James, and I didn't bother fact-checking, but uh, this was just uh, meant to be changed. They were going to come up with some sort of exciting or dynamic title, and it just didn't happen. I love that because if you read the Twitters of Noel and company, they often say how Catra is literally a cat, you know, for all of her teenage emotions and... Uh, trauma. She also just purrs and scratches and hisses and is a cat. So when I saw Save the Cat, I didn't flinch. I just, I just figured it's the last season and they were going for it. And that's literally what's happening. So, oh, also we're recording this before the episode that uh, comes before it. So if we say something that sounds like a repeat from Stranded, hey, deal with it. So anyway, Adora, Catra, and Bo are. Uh, uh, fresh from their and Entrapta, fresh from their fuel gathering mission, are ready to go back to Horde Prime's ship and save Catra because Catra saved Glimmer. And so the whole of this episode takes place on Horde Prime's flagship, the Velvet Glove. Uh, Adora is tasked with confronting Prime and getting Catra. Glimmer's job is, or no, Glimmer is uh, thinks she's going to rescue Catra, but that doesn't happen. Adora goes to Horde Prime. Bowen and Entrapta sneak around. And try to uh, mess with Horde Prime's programming to hopefully kind of figure out how he works and maybe disrupt the clones. Uh, obviously, none of these things go exactly according to plan. But in the end, uh, Adora fights a mind-wipe Catra, brings her back from the brink, and they do indeed save her. And Horde Prime is real pissed at the end. And that's... There's so much happens that I don't want to get into it in the synopsis because then I won't be able to stop talking about it. For sure. And plot-wise, I think it's actually a really simple plot. It's saving Catra, but it's full of a lot of moments and even a, a new character, one of my favorite characters in the season. Yeah, you might even say a breakout character. I think uh, if you should get all the awards. If there was going to be a like YouTube miniseries like DreamWorks did before, I would definitely like it to be little clips about Ron Hordak. Dude, Ron Hordak is so good. I was so delighted to see this character. So one of our DreamWorks friends, uh, I'm not going to tell tales, but message Lauren and I to say, you guys have to get Keston John on the show this season. I can't tell you why, but you're going to want to, and you'll know why when you see it. And then as soon as Ron Hordak came on screen, I'm like, uh-huh, there it is. That's why. Right. And, not you know, Horde work- Prime is transcendent and wonderful. But I know that's not what our friend was talking about. Right. Like, I mean, Keston's work is obviously incredible throughout. And we're going to talk about it in the second half of this episode. But Horde- Ron Hordak is such a, like, different tone and, and just such a light in this show. Uh, we talked a couple weeks ago about how even in its final epic sci-fi fantasy adventure season the show's not afraid to do comedy and i love that about it absolutely and speaking of epic sci-fi adventures what a star wars send-up this episode is oh man absolutely there's two scenes that are straight from star wars at least if not more well certainly the beginning you know the tractor beam pulling the ship into a docking bay and then there's a a ramp going down and stormtroopers i mean clones searching the ship to see if anyone's on it straight out of star wars and then is the other one you're thinking of sort of a palpatine ish thing 
Yeah, definitely the whole, like, Horde Prime's throne room was very, like, palpatine down to the fact that choral music accompanies uh, the score when Adora sees it for the first time. So those are my two big Star Wars things. Yeah, anytime anyone, villain especially, says, strike me down, it's just, it's Palpatine to me. So for all the genre tropes that go into this episode, this does something that I find absolutely delightful, which is, okay, so part of the hero's plan is they're going to sneak onto Horde Prime's vessel, split into three parties, communicate via earpieces, but they're talking out loud to each other. So the episode plays it like they're being super cool and like the heroes are getting away with something, but it feels to us watching like they shouldn't be, which ends up being the case where Horde Prime is like, yeah, you guys didn't have anybody fooled from the very beginning. It's like, right, because he does have eyes everywhere. And I just love that moment of like realistic expectations and like logical plot progression subverting genre tropes. It's like kind of Watchmen-y. I thought that was great. Yeah, I was happy, I mean, not happy for the hero's well-being, but from a storytelling perspective, I was happy that they got busted because being the cynic that I am, they were walking around and I was like, they're sending like radio frequencies back and forth and nobody detects that or hears it. What the heck? Literally the engineer clones C and Trapta and Bo, it's like, they shouldn't be getting away with this. Okay, everyone, sound off. I'm heading to Horde Prime's holding cell to get Catra. And then Trapta and I are gonna hack into the ship's server and download any intel about Prime's weak points. Look for a room with a lot of glowing tech in it. I remember them taking me past it when... when they took me to... That has to be the server. Then that's our access point. Although, as long as we're here, you wouldn't mind if I just took a few readings. Yep. Okay, to the server room. Okay, uh, everyone just... I know we talked a lot about cults on corridors, but we, to, to my mind, there's a second part of what Horde Prime represents that we didn't, we only kind of touched on, which is this homogeny angle, this like sameness that you see in sci-fi villains like the Borg. But last episode, I keyed in, or I keyed into this word purity that Lauren used, and I'm, I don't know, there's there's definitely a very strong message in this show that like diversity is strength. And it's, it's just really striking to me in this episode that Horde Prime is the opposite of diversity. He is straight homogeneity. Everyone is the same. There's no differences. Yeah, I have this vague memory of somebody asking on our show or implying on our show seasons ago that maybe Hordak was homophobic. And if that's true, it's like to an extreme with Horde Prime. Horde Prime hates everything outside of the norm and it's the norm he sets and that norm is him yes exactly (laughs) anything outside of that is hated and feared which is like you you see some of the dummies on twitter and you kind of get it right of like there are people who think that everything they do is quote the norm and everyone should be like them like they never stop to consider that maybe they uh they don't conform to like what their idea of like the perfect american or whatever is Yeah, and that even ties back into religion, frankly. I am an atheist, but I grew up Catholic. I think that's common knowledge at this point. And one of the things I remember questioning first was, how could it be possible 
that I was just lucky enough to be born into the right, exact, correct beliefs. How, how could I be that lucky? How could that actually be real? And I mean, that's kind of what Horde Prime is doing, except he's forcing it on everybody. Also, but back on the cult train. So we get cult Catra in this episode, full robes. She has the haircut going on, the kind of like Jonestowny, like I'm ready to drink some Kool-Aid haircut. She's got this like leveled out voice. She says, hello, Adora. This is full on horror movie Catra, like body snatched Catra. Yeah, so I loved the delivery of the Hello Adora line because the second time I watch this now, I really interpret that as how she would talk to Adora if all of her emotion surrounding Adora had been removed. And so resentment toward Adora, um, hatred, and even love toward Adora, if that's all pulled out, what would that greeting sound like? And I think AJ Machalka just nails it. And that's kind of the the gift that she insists that she's been given. She says, you broke my heart. And now she doesn't have to feel that anymore. I could see even though this in this case was forced onto Katra, that being a very tempting thing or a tempting life for her to accept. That's maybe what makes it hard for her to snap out of it. Yeah, and it's all these phrases that we, we talked about with James as are, are like the the signifiers of like a scary cult she talks about being whole again she says you could be happy too uh come into the light with me i have peace all these things that are like yeah on the one hand you see why they're desirable right and on the other hand it's like "Mm, how did we get here is this real horror movie horror movie is absolutely right though i remember thinking throughout watching this season that we see some characters become so powerful um, and just wondering, you know, where where were they this whole time? Where was Spinnerella this whole time with these amazing powers? And not to get ahead, but here, Catra is incredibly powerful fighting Adora to the point where she is like twisting and breaking her own arms. Yeah. And I think I think the lesson we're supposed to get is that physical limitations are ignored by anyone under Horde Prime's power as well. Like, they will just attack and attack and attack and attack. They don't have, they don't seem to have a sense of body preservation. And I wonder if that was, like, canonically discussed. That's why they seem so powerful. They stop feeling pain and caring about pain. Also, the couple of lines that Catra and Horde Prime deliver double, ooh, That's creepy. Yeah, it really made me question as a viewer, and I think this was the point, is when is it Catra and when is it Horde Prime? Yeah. Um, And what things being said to Adora are honest and what are manipulative? And I actually don't think it matters much, but, you know, it just shows that Horde Prime knows exactly what buttons to push. I was very chilled when he basically let Catra throw herself off the side of the 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 platform or whatever they were fighting on she gets caught the first time but the second time she super doesn't and then her his response is i'm sorry for the needless waste which is like so clinical like someone just killed themselves yeah he refers to katra's body as as garbage a couple of times even when he threatens to use her as a vessel he says but she probably wouldn't last me very long uh he just thinks 
so lowly of yeah. her in this literal disgusting way like her her physical being itself is is trash what's sad about that is i think that's what Katra has always feared, that she actually is nobody Aww. and she is garbage and nobody cares about her. She says it in this episode. And now she's in the clutches of someone who will actually treat her that way. And I think that's that's a story for us, the viewer. Like, no, Katra, people do care about you because this is what someone does when they don't. And I mean, you talk about Horde Prime pushing Adora's buttons. He has this really chilling line, maybe more than the needless waste, he says, I will give her to you if you want her. Like, what? He knows exactly what, like, Adora's headspace in this, too. And that's so pointed and, and gross. I also was really uh, creeped out is not the right word. But he takes on the very, like, um, homogenous. I mean, I would even put it into, like, white supremacist territory if you wanted to make the metaphor really strong when he is talking about the first ones and how Adora's face like looks like one of the first ones. We're getting into some real like uh, master race, like you have the bone structure of my enemy there. And I was getting very squicked. Well, I didn't necessarily want to make the connection, but since you already did, there's definitely some KKK vibes with the, the Horde, Horde Prime army as far as they wear white robes and talk about purity and sameness and how aliens are bad uh yeah i mean i don't think we're supposed to draw a one-to-one you know but right and i i i don't think the show wants us to shy away from it either yeah i think we've heard we've heard enough behind the scenes voices to know like there's some stuff there that they want us to find agreed uh but all that is to say i i think i don't think that shira even though we had some fun with the obvious symbolism in corridors i think that uh Horde Prime and his army is a, a really great villain because there are these kind of real world parallels, but it also like fits into the sci-fi fantasy realm super, super well. This is how it's going to go. We're going to make a deal. You're going to give me Catra, and then you're going to let me leave again free and clear. I have something you want, a weapon that only Shira can activate, the heart of Etheria. And if you don't do as I say, then I'll use it and destroy you and your empire for good. <laughs> mm. is, is something funny? You are not going to use the weapon. Or you would have already done so. You would never risk the safety of your Katra. You don't know me. You don't know what I'm capable of. Oh... But I do. Well, I, I think uh, what we should do is check back on our bingo cards. Because, Lauren, I think you scored a lot of wins in this episode. Oh, yeah? So a couple, couple quick ones, and then there's a couple substantive ones. So, first of all, I want to ask you. We see Horde Prime recharging through his hair tentacles. Does that count as tentacle stuff? I don't think it does. I was very specific about what I thought was going to happen, and it was the tentacles being used to, like, hurt someone else. And so, unfortunately, I don't. I don't think I get the square. And okay. I, I haven't. I haven't been seeing other people check it off either. No tentacle stuff. All right, not in this episode anyway. Uh, so that's your first miss. So we haven't done last week's episode yet, but 
one of yours came true last week, so you're one and one right now. In Trap Deck fan service, I think there's one in the episode. There, there's two in the episode. One is super duper obvious, so I think we have to check this off, right? Yeah, that's all over this episode. Her yeah. pursuit of Hordak and holding the... I mean, what would we even call that thing he used to wear in his chest? The jewel thing? Yeah, she, holding it up to wrong Hordak uh, and just sort of the look on her face. And then when she reveals, she says something like, well, we can check that one off our list. Like, her primary like mission is to try and find Hordak. She hasn't told anybody that, but she's, she's super got it bad for him. All right, so with that, you're two and one. I have a couple notes on that, so... Uh, I wonder if, first of all, if there's anything to the fact that, like, she thinks Wrong Hordak is her boo. Because as the season goes on, Wrong Hordak seems to be maybe a better match for her. But that's something we can talk about later. But what I noticed this time watching the episode was that Entrapta leads Wrong Hordak around like a pet. Just how Perfuma, like, dragged Entrapta around a few episodes ago. But... Is it creepy to have a dog that looks like your ex? <laughs> that was a lot of lead-in to ask a very weird question. But that's kind of what's happening, right? Yeah, I don't know if I ship it for, like, that reason. Whether or not they're a better match for one another later. In this episode, it's very uh, human pet or even, like, mother-child. Yeah. He's not, he's not lucid enough for me to ship uh, oh, you get new sword this episode, and definitively on screen we see Adora's transformation. Uh, well, it, you kind of get both, right? Because she doesn't have a sword, and then she manifests one to transform. That's what I was going to say. So I remember when we set these bingo cards, I made the point that I didn't think one could happen you didn't think both could happen at the same time. Yeah, I didn't think both could happen because either she would have a new sword and she would transform or she would transform without it. But they literally drew a transformation sequence in which a sword appeared in her hand when the sequence had already begun and she was clearly becoming Shira. So I actually think they they made it so both happened. Yeah, so this was fucking cool. I love this new Shira design. It was kind of teased by like the figure Adora was chasing through her dreams but we see it in full for the first time and we see her new sword I think you're right that it is inspired in part by the classic sword of protection design I agree uh, definitely more angular the jewel is a little more um, positioned as it was classically I also think her new outfit does a nice job of combining classic influences with um, with modern sensibilities it looks more I don't mean this in like a sexist way, but more in like an age way. So maybe I'm being ageist, but it looks more womanly. You know what I mean? Like it looks like a more mature uh, outfit. Well, they literally make her taller, like even taller than before, in my opinion. So I think that adds to that vibe. And I see what you mean. I don't know if I'd go womanly so much as I would say and more empowered. I mean, she's got the the more uh, covering shoulder armor, and she's got a tiara that looks like straight out of the 80s, and like it could actually be sort of functional armor as well. She just looks more like a knight. It's yeah. badass. 
And I think her voice, she, she voices it slightly deeper, too, which is a trick of the original show as well. I, I agree with you about the modern sensibilities, though. She does have heels now, but they're like a wedge, which as, as a woman who likes to wear heels, that is more supportive than, a, you know, a stiletto. And she's got a longer quote-unquote cape in that fabric drapes behind her lower, but it comes from the waist, it's it's like a like a high low sort of thing. It's not actually a superhero cape. So again, a nod to the '80s silhouette, but I think easier to fight in and run around in. The one thing I wanted to point out: I don't think at any point in this show, Adora ends her transformation by saying "I am Shira," which didn't stand out as strange to me until this one. I feel like if ever they were going to do it, this was the time. Do you know what I mean? Like how potent that could have been and if they had brought back the original theme song just for a second because like to me this is the coolest fucking transform in the whole show oh yeah i think if they were going to deliver the line i would have put it instead of when she she looks she looks at horde prime and says you miscalculated i think telling her telling him that she is shira would have been pretty badass there too that's good that's really good but yeah, she's definitely powered up. She's got like rainbow power. Now, I don't think this counts as your bingo rainbow yet. Uh, that was yours. Oh, well, oh yeah. Well, I just, I'm putting it on you because I have so few wins. So yeah, you're actually four and one right now. I don't think I've gotten any of mine yet, Lauren. I'm just really sad. I'm feeling pretty strongly about my Catradora square as well. Just saying. Yeah. Again, like you were very explicit that they need to do something that is overtly romantic, and the show does keep creeping closer towards that. There is a real embrace at the end of this episode. It's not they're not necessarily more than friends yet, but I think I think it would be a very conservative read to act like they were just friends at this point, especially with the caressing of Catra's hair right before the transformation. But Having watched the whole season, I'll wait. I'll wait to check the square. Uh, Is there anything else you want to cover about this episode before we get to our very special guest? Uh, A few more things. I think uh, there are some really sweet lines, speaking of Catradora, between the two of them. Um, You matter to me. You've never listened to anyone in your life. Don't start now. Uh, I'm going to take you home. And then when Catra asks promise, which is a throwback to a much earlier episode, basically their childhood. Um, I cried a lot the first time I watched this episode. I'm glad I did a second watch through so I could actually be composed and pay attention. I do want to make sure we talk about Glimmer a little bit and maybe Bo. Uh, Glimmer, I think, is my main critical point of this episode they really tried to show us some trauma on her part. Like maybe she was feeling triggered by being back in this space where she was interrogated uh, and where she had such a horrible time. You see her kind of gasping for breath and unable to speak about some of her experiences. And I, I don't know, I appreciate how, how subtle it was I don't think it ever really got resolved, though. I think she just sort of waded through it, and then the day moved on. Maybe maybe that's just how trauma is, though. Maybe that's realistic. And speaking of romantic, I think you could read some glimbo romance in this one if you wanted to. I think that's crazy. There's no way, Lauren. 
uh, having watched the whole season is a real problem. Yeah, I mean, to, at this point in the season, to me, I'm I'm enjoying the ride. I'm loving the characters. The action is peak. Like I'm I'm ready to see where it goes. Maybe, maybe my feelings will change by the last episode. Yeah, I guess I guess what I'm driving at here is how different season five reads to me watching it a second time. Mm. There are some interactions between Glimmer and Bo during Save the Cat, particularly where she asks, um, are you worried about me? And Bo's on the other line and just kind of says, yeah. And Glimmer gets this look on her face, and I don't think it meant anything to me the first time I watched it. But now that I've gone through... Now it means a lot. And so mm. anyone who hasn't uh, gotten their second or their third watch through in, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time. But, you know, before you rewatch the season again, you should keep listening to this podcast. I mean, in the universal sense, but also right now, because we're about to interview the one and only Hordak, Horde Prime, and Wrong Hordak, and Grizzlor, actually, Keston John. Yes, uh, like you said, just an embarrassment of riches, a wonderful uh, guest we have coming to you this season, and I've been looking forward to talking to Keston for ages. So we're going to talk to him not only about Shira, but some of the other places you might have seen him too, including a particularly good place. <laughs> Okay, everybody, so this is very exciting for the second half of our episode today. We are joined by none other than Mr. Keston John, the voice of Hordak and Horde Prime, and debuting in this episode, I'm sure I've already used the phrase, uh, season breakout character, wrong Hordak. Keston, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. Man, this I mean, it is, it's truly our pleasure. So, Keston, you've been... A part of Shira since the very beginning. Hordak debuts in episode three very menacingly, and you've played a lot of different ends of the spectrum. Did you know where the story was going when you started, or was it kind of uh, were you following along like the rest of us? <laughs> you know what? Um, every once in a while, uh, Noel and you know some of the other writers would tip a hat to where it might be going, but I didn't get much. So with what uh, I came in the first first day to record and um it, i had six episodes in front of me they had already been recording um and you know i just recorded um i recorded like the first six you know kind of hordak episodes and you know i did some grizzlore and some other characters um but yeah i didn't know that it was going to end in prime and wrong hordak and any of that i did not know where it was going essentially at, at, at you know and in, in the beginning okay interesting because i was curious if, if kind of foreknowledge had shaped any of your earlier choices and it seems like that's not the case because i feel like it must be an especially interesting but maybe fun challenge to have three characters who are in on one hand like the same but then very very different in execution yeah they're you know, we we talked probably probably around what uh, we you know we we just recorded, so we didn't really break it up into seasons like how it's broken up on Netflix. So when probably on what we you know most people would consider season four, 
Um, uh, no, well, before then, because obviously Prime Prime um, debuts before then. Right when he debuts visually, when you see him, when you see him in his ship and he's laughing and he says, "There you are, little brother." That that moment where um, Hordak gets the ping to him, that uh, that's when we started talking about. So this is we need to start, you know, th- start thinking about um, how he's going to be the same but different. Um, and then Rong Hordak was just a fun, like they were like, hey, you know, I I always laugh like they put a lot of trust in in the actors and all of us, but they put a lot of trust in me to to kind of um, without auditioning all those roles. You know what I mean? I feel like a lot of times they'll audition everything you're going to do just to make sure that you can do it. And um, they didn't audition any of that. They kind of just auditioned Hordak and I did that. And it was like, all right, start thinking about how, how, you know, Horde Prime is going to be the similar, but, but different. And, and we went from there. In fact, in our first, um, it was in in one of the first i don't actually i don't know um that they they might have cut some of it but in our first record for horde prime i don't think we we actually went back and re-recorded it because what i what i brought in that first time was not quite him and um it we it was just not it was not quite him and and i think we found like by the next session that we found him and they were like, there he is. And I was like, great, let's go back and re-record the stuff we did before. So, yeah. What was the audition process for such an iconic character? Like, obviously there was an eighties voice that I think was a lot more snorty and a lot more cartoony, you know, where did you start and how did you end up choosing the Hordak you chose? For me, it started with, well, you know, the, it, basically, like all auditions, they sent me an email through my agent, and I was like, okay. Um, looked at, I wasn't familiar with the older, um, with the with the previous animation. I wasn't, um, you know, it's just like re- a little bit before my time because I was born in 84. So it just, my wife was very familiar with it, and she was like, oh my gosh, Shira, you have to like watch. So I watched episodes to kind of inform me but they were very clear that they wanted something different and something uh more grounded uh more they wanted him to be a villain but they wanted him to be a real villain they wanted him to sound like closer to a real person and so um that's what i i kind of went with and the first the first the first uh audition that i sent Actually, I don't know who got it. I don't know if anybody got it, but I didn't hear anything for months, like five or six months. I don't know. It was something like that. And then a buddy of mine reached out and said, oh, I have a friend, Adam Henry, who's looking for a, a villain on She-Ra. Um, do you like, can you do that stuff? And I was like, oh, here's my audition that I sent like a few months ago. And um, then two weeks later, I got like this thing. It was like, hey, can you do a callback? They just wanted him to sound more real. And I remember I was in Florida. I was like hanging out with family and I just popped in a family member's closet and I had my mic and I just read opposite my wife so that it was more real. You know what I mean? Um, I just wanted him to be more like a, a human talking to another human. 
uh, just maybe a little bit more evil, <laughs> or you know, uh, he does he does become a lot more human over yeah. the seasons as they go on too. One of the things I was really looking forward to asking is about Entrapta. So right now we're recording this. We're a few weeks early on our schedule, and a unused storyboard has been going around the internet of a really kind of romantic embrace between Entrapta and Hordak that didn't happen in which she's touching him with her hair and it goes a little further than I think the show actually ended up going. Mm. Um, how do you how do you feel about that relationship or as the kids would say, do you ship it? <laughs> uh, you know what I think I think everyone uh, and our team shipped it, <laughs> and and it was a uh, it was a uh, it was beautiful because I got to um, record. I didn't record in group too much, just because um, that's just how schedules worked out. But they always tried to make sure that that I was that I was available when you know Christine was available, so that we could be together in the same room and actually lock eyes with one another and kind of just you know play the reality of uh being two people who are well not very good at sharing feelings <laughs> um and you know it was i think it i think it really really helped um yeah i i think in general one of my questions is how did he go about finding pathos for hordeck because you're right like he is even though he's a villain there is there are moments of of empathy for him and he's kind of like he's our villain you know and then horde prime shows up in season five and i i think there's just obliterates that notion so like what helped you find the humanity in hordak i i found the humanity in hordak by tapping into the fact that he he just wants to prove himself to his big brother in in certain ways he just wants to feel like not uh he wants to feel worthy. He wants to feel seen and not like a mistake. And um, I think, you know, I mean, I, I would go far, so far as to say, you know, Entrapta is one of the first, if, if probably the first being on this planet that he's cared to open up to in this way. Um, and... She doesn't laugh at him. She doesn't. She she takes it in, and she actually lifts him up and says, "Hey, your your you know your imperfections are are beautiful." And I and um, I, I I don't know. I think that the story kind of is there, and for me, it was just trying to like humanize those those. Well, the, you know, it's I think it's pretty. I think you can everyone can kind of relate to wanting to prove themselves and to the parent or a brother or sister or whoever it is, whoever they look up to and feeling like they're not worthy of their, of the position they've been given. So, um, yeah, I just try to try to connect in that way. Now, did you find any kind of that humanity in Horde Primer or did you throw that all out when it came time to be him? All of the characters I try to base in sort some sort of like, you know, some sort of reality. So like for Horde Prime, he is that I I mean I don't want to say religious, but that's that's the word that our team kept throwing around. And it was just he is that person who's bringing his fire and brimstone to um 
to planets and saving them from them from themselves so that gave me something real to 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 play versus just being this evil he's not just evil he he truly believes that his way is the way that that the planet should should be run and anyone who disagrees with him that's it's their fault that they're destroyed um because they are not they they don't want to be a part of his light um and i he's you know he's definitely uh off but he's still he still has that um I don't know. It's 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 based in something that we can connect to. We we Absolutely. we have seen people that <laughs> uh, that have felt similar. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't imagine who you're talking about, and if there's any like obvious examples in society right now. Uh, but man, so that that leads me to I think another one of my big questions. So. In addition to being on Shira, which is like something I obviously have a lot of love for, uh, the Good Place. You you play um, Chidi's friend Uzo on mm-hmm. the Good Place. That is one of my favorite shows of all time. Like easy top ten. Oh wow, that's awesome. That's I awesome. Think, uh, man, I mean, yeah, I what a what a well timed show, right? And Shira too. Like you happen to end up on these two shows that almost by accident or by the creative teams just like reading society better than society knew itself like these are two very timely shows with very potent messages about kind of you know strength in community and 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 fighting against a horrible destiny and and using the love of others to to save the day and i mean this is a very like chris farley show style question because i don't know if i have a point to it except like was was that at all did that cross your mind as you were doing these things that like man i'm really these are things that like people need to see right now it's like helpful for people to be processing these things yeah you know it did it did a little bit with shira just because um you know when we started recording at least when i started recording it was around 2016 so we saw the climate and we, you know, uh, Noelle, she had a vision for what she wanted people to get out of the show. And it was more than just, I, I feel like, and I, I'm just, I'm, maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but it felt like, it, it felt like the older series was about, a little bit about selling toys, but all a little bit about like a little bit about just, you know, it just it didn't have as much depth. And that's just that's where, you know, um, the styles differ. Right. Like, you know, pe- people didn't think that kids wanted to necessarily see that kind of depth. But um, I think that if you're a showrunner in this day and age and you're not tapping into where your world's at or trying to in your story, then I think I, I honestly think you're um you're being short sighted and Mike Shore and Noel are some of the best people that I've ever gotten to work with and um yeah it's beautiful that you say that like because honestly not a lot of people know this I tested for Chidi so um and when you know you go do you do your screen test and so it was me and William Jackson and we were the choices. And um, it 
came down to William in the end because he was the perfect person to play Cheaty. But it was a beautiful thing that like Mike brought me in and was like, hey, this role uh, fits fits William perfectly. But I'd like to I'd like to bring you and to be his friend. And and, you know, it's that never happens. Never. That never happens. And I don't know. I'm on a tangent. But I guess what I'm saying is um, they're they're really good people who wanted to wanted to put a mirror up to society and i think it's it for me it happened by accident because I, i'm pretty sure if i if i was playing chitty i might not have gotten to play uh all the horde primes and you know horde, horde acts and so that that's kind of a beautiful thing right like uh the things that you don't get bring on other things that you do get to play and get to get to experience so oh man that don't apologize for that tangent that was amazing i mean i just for me personally like so the Good Place finale, which you were in, and it made me so happy. I was like, oh, that's Hordak uh, <laughs> at, at the table that's in awesome. heaven with, with Chidi. Uh, so that hit, like, I think four weeks after my dog passed. And, like, oh. even though I was not emotionally ready to see something about, like, letting go, it uh, I needed to see it, you know? And then the she finale hits in the middle of, like, everything being terrible but it almost brings some normalcy to it you know like all of a sudden people are excited and talking about this thing they love and feeling inspired i don't know man that's that's really cool like yeah for me to be able to talk to the person who linked those projects is is really great for me so thank you again uh you've probably been asked this question before but in that good place finale we see people spending an infinite amount of time uh, kind of however they want to. If yeah. you were in that good place, what do you think you would do? Oh, I don't know. I mean, that that pizza scene is just uh, so great. It's just spending time with the people that you that you care about. You know what I mean? Just spending time with the people that you care about and getting to just getting to just do that over and over and over endless dinner parties like <laughs> night after night so something like that yeah totally uh, i want to go back to uh, a half a sentence i pulled out of what you were saying earlier and it was holding a mirror up to society yeah. i think a lot of your projects have done that and another one that i pulled from your background that i think is sort of cute and sort of strange is in the lego marvel games you get to be killmonger yeah and he is one of my favorite uh, marvel villains probably my favorite marvel movie um what what did you learn being killmonger what does killmonger say to you well you know it's the movie was so impactful um we we started recording um, for the Marvel Avengers Assemble before before the movie came out and before I knew uh, the the direction that they were going with it, um, you know, there's so many different Killmongers because of the comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie Killmonger is has birthright to the throne, and it was so powerful to watch um, Michael B. Jordan's character just go from go from this this boy was just forgotten about and go to, you know, he, he, he's doing it. He's, he's not doing it. And that's, 
that they humanized Killmonger. They really did. Um, they really humanized him. Right. With um, a name like that, they almost had to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's, and that, that's, I guess that's a, that's a through line of, I bring a lot of probably a lot of emotion, a lot of heart to the people that I play. I try to, you know, bring some sort of like, some sort of what makes them what makes them tick but also what like makes their heartbeat like what makes their heart race and so i think for killmonger specifically he's just he's just he he feels like abandoned by this by you know by wakanda and um in our version he it, it plays closer to the comic book um we i i i was um my father betrayed the betrayed Wakanda and I was raised with um with Black Panther and I saw that he was getting all the all the attention and all the um all the things that I you know um that 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 Killmonger wanted and specifically in our version it was more jealousy and envy that kind of brings about his want to take over the throne um versus the pain of the of the of the um, Michael B. Jordan movie, which I think is more powerful, honestly, because he has he's been left kind of as an orphan. Um, so yeah, it it's I that, I guess that it, long tangent to say um, I don't know I I learned a lot of things, but specifically like it was cool to to take the Killmonger character character and add the Eric to it. Do you know what I mean? Add the add the human portion to it that's what i'm trying to trying to do when i when i pick up a character what does this mean and what is this doing for people is it you know and can anyone see themselves themselves in that character um yeah yeah that is especially i think resonant when you are playing a villain you know like like a hordak because this isn't, like you said, a cartoon that's out there selling toys. It's a cartoon that has a, a deeper message. And I feel like every single being in She-Ra is, is more than they are on the surface. There's so much deeper in each of these uh, princesses and sidekicks and villains that we've spent time with. And I think you have a real talent. And I think they chose a great uh, actor for finding finding that deeper part. I don't think there was much depth to Old Hordak as much as we love the the vintage cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it the, like, you know, I, I heard a little bit of, of your the episode you guys did with Amy and it's so I take my hat and everything off to all the the, you know, kind of the everyone who's come before this generation of of voice artists um but it's it's so beautiful to see that they're casting people who look different and sound different and um maybe i maybe there aren't as many accents in the bag for for this generation of of actors <laughs> of, of of voice actors but um i don't know i think it's I think it's I think it's more reflective of, of of our world, which is what we want. So you're talking so much about um, this sense of of longing that a lot of your characters feel, and especially how you related to Hordak and why. Who in your real life inspires you? In my personal life, there are a few actors that um, 
well, uh, actors, uh, also friends, who are just, you know, good fathers, good husbands. They're good people. Um, and um, one of those, one of the people that I just really look up to and um, is his, his name's Cress and Cress Williams. He, he plays uh, Black Lightning and he actually officiated my wedding and like we're just good friends and it, it just, it, you know, it's, it's so awesome to have someone who, you know, he's been working in the industry since 1990. <laughs> and so it's awesome to have that person to look up to when it comes to not just the business, but also life. Um, there's a lot of people like, I look up to my mom, you know what I mean? Like she, she came from another country and made it here, you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, like I look up to, um, a lot of people, um, my, like my, a lot, a lot of, a lot of my family, honestly, like what my brother's been through has been pretty incredible. So yeah, I look, I look up to, uh, um, uh, people in, in, in the industry and out of the industry and, uh, um, when I look for mentors, I, you know, um, honestly, there's, there's some sports people in sports that I do not know, but I see what they do. And I'm like, wow, you started a school, you, you know, you're leader of in your community. And so I, I like that. I, and that, and those are people I kind of gravitate towards and gravitate towards anything they do. Oh, what are they doing in, in the media? Oh, cool. You know? So, yeah. I've been wanting to ask you, spoilers about your other projects we can't ask you for Shira spoilers anymore we normally bother people about that but that's over with so um unless there's something we really don't know right <laughs> right i mean i already read an interview with noel that was like very unfairly tantalizing additional Shira content so we'll see but i'm not gonna we're not gonna go there yeah, uh, yeah. i saw that you got to be a character in fortnite and there yeah. are some people hanging out on Reddit pointing out that Spitfire currently only has two subclasses. And do you know, <laughs> have you recorded anything that would imply that there's going to be more someday? Uh, <laughs> you only ask the hard questions. Yes. On the, show, <laughs> the hard hitting questions. Is there you going know? to be more of you in Fortnite? Because the kids want to know. Um, you know what? I haven't done too much Fortnite. It's it's been a while since I it's been a while since I recorded with them. So yeah, I think it's safe to say uh no, yeah. Yeah. I saw someone no. on Reddit who was just so passionate, like, how could he only have two subclasses? I need to see more <laughs> of this guy. And I was like, Wow, Keston. <laughs> As a fan. That's awesome. That's well, awesome. This just occurred to me, Lauren, when you said future Shira project. So once upon a time Tim Seeley, who wrote like a, a preliminary series Bible for Princesses of Power before DreamWorks, uh, you know, put their team on it. He told us that uh, when he wrote the Bible, he was directed that the only two Masters of the Universe characters that uh, DreamWorks could use in this show were He-Man and Hordak. Now, obviously, only Hordak made it to the screen, and right. that ended up changing a little. But that makes me think that if Hordak is counted as a Masters of the Universe character, maybe Kevin Smith should come calling. I'm going to start that saying that right now and maybe we can like Get vision board this into the world yeah right 
Like, yeah. why can't Hordak be in Masters of the Universe Revelations? That's true. That's true. You know, um, some of the auditions that came, I, I auditioned for uh, Randor and some other, So, and I was like, this is going to be really strange if at some point they're like, oh, let's get Hordak on the <laughs> Let's yeah. get Hordak in there. You know, uh, so yeah, no. Um, yeah, that'll be fun. I mean, if if there are more projects down the line, cool. But this was so so fun to do and and such a great team and such great energy you know uh i hope it seems like people can tell like the love that noel and honestly the whole team kind of put into it it's it's um yeah it was a beautiful project to be a part of and you know we stopped recording about two years ago and i was so sad (laughs) like i was just like Mm -hmm. oh like it's such a you know sad not that that like that i wouldn't get to like see these people anymore and 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 but you know we will we'll we'll all get together at some point i'm sure well right what a bogus time obviously any time would be terrible for a pandemic to hit but right as this show is wrapping up i think normally you would be invited for you know the convention circuit you'd be doing your comic cons and your dragon cons and uniting with your cast members and seeing fans um i really hope you get to do that later yeah yeah same you know yeah it was like oh we're gonna do um we're gonna do awesome con and comic con and i was like okay cool and i was like oh no we're not (laughs) so uh no i mean it's 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 cool i i'm i'm just glad that if if anything like the show is landing and and allowing people to escape that escape the reality of what's going on if if anything you know what i mean um and if there's cool cons that we can do later on and meet people, then cool. You know, if people are still interested. <laughs> I mean, another key similarity between She-Ra and Good Place is that those are both shows that, you know, got out on top versus just kind of letting things peter out until all the steam was gone, which from a fan's viewpoint is sad. Like, you don't want the things you love to be over, but it's it's better to leave that way, right? To tell your story and then say thank you and i i appreciate that uh noel and and all of you guys did that yeah it's for me it's a it's a better way of storytelling just tell the story you know i come from theater so there's always an end you know what i mean like you have the end the audience has to go home at some point and i don't like when tv shows don't let us go home you know just like you know like i I could have done ten thousand more episodes of shira but uh, would the audience have been interested? Nah, I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. You know, you gotta have a, you gotta tell the story and and tell it well, and then and then and then say bye, <laughs> and let people watch it on repeat. Gosh, we try to stay spoiler free on this show. We don't try to talk ahead too much into the season, even though everyone can go watch it if they wanted. And so we are today. We were only talking about save the cat, but one of the things that I have beef with in the final, final finale, and I'll keep it as vague as possible, (laughs) is that there are a ton of clones that we don't know what happens to them. I'm not, Mm -hmm. I'm not, (laughs) they're just, they're just around Mm -hmm. and I'm not, I'm not going to (laughs) spoil where or why yet, but there's a lot of you Mm -hmm. and we just sort of fade to black and we don't learn where all of you goes. So true. I mean, maybe this is a little improv-y, <laughs> but if you could write the spin-off series about what happens to all of the clones, where would they go? 
Well, uh, I don't know where all the, all of them go, but I I will say that that Horde Prime was seen jumping just a scene before. So, um, I don't know. Uh oh. <laughs> I'm just Uh-oh. just 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 pointing that out. You're being well, that guy. Okay. That's that's an unexpected answer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> all right. But uh, there is something magical about the ending. Well, I guess we're not. We shouldn't talk about it yet. So I'll save most of my thoughts, but like people who feel inspired by the ending and the, the doors that it doesn't close are free to create as many fan fiction stories as they want. It is like rich ground for fan fiction and like speculation and discussion. And I genuinely love that about it. So I hope you stoked that fire just a little bit with that very cryptic comment. Yes. Well, <laughs> and I mean, and if you think about it, like once what happens to uh, Rong Hordak as soon as he gets his, you know, is awakened, so to speak? Like, he just, he, he it's like a completely different, like, well, for, first of all, vocal register, but also, like, just like he's, when he's emotionally freed, it's, it's, he's not a part of the hive mind anymore. I'm, I, I mean, it would be kind of fascinating to watch a bunch of, uh, a <laughs> bunch of clones, like, that now have their own ability to think and um, <laughs> process to see what they There's did. There's a lot of fan art out there already. My favorite fan art that I've seen so far is Entrapta helping all of the clones dye their hair so they can look, you know, individual and they can look like their Aww. own people. It's adorable. I'll make sure I show it to you, Eric. That's we can great. post it on social. That's so sweet. That's I do great. have... One more spoiler question. Get ready for it. Sure, sure. Uh, <laughs> the Avatar films are extremely um, important Ooh. and significant to some people. Mm-hmm. I know there's so little public information out about them, but there's four sequels and your name is on them. What can you tell us? Ooh, well, uh, not much. <laughs> <laughs> not much Dang at it, all. Um, yeah, but I mean, it's Avatar. It's... What a what an incredible project to be a part of, and you know it's, I don't know it it I yeah like you know you can't say much, but it's it's gonna be, I mean he's he's developed technology, you know anybody who's read into it, he's developed technology even in this on these that has surpassed the other one, um the other and it's you know it's the first, first kind of underwater, um kind of underwater uh you know motion or performance capture really so yeah we're yeah i think i think fans will be in 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 for a pretty great treat we're probably coming to about the end of our time i think uh lauren is there anything else you want to Get out there. Any more spoilers? You no, want to risk Keston's career to tell us I've things? I've run out of things to try and get Keston fired with. I've failed. Uh, before we go, Keston, is, is there anywhere, uh, anything you'd like to plug? Or like, are there places on the internet that your fans can find you if you want them to? Yeah, I'm just, you know, at Keston John. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's I'm, I'm on Instagram at Keston John and, and I don't really use Twitter too much, but you know, I'm, I'm there too. If you, if you want to find me, um, right now I'm doing a show called in the dark and we're on and Thursdays at, at nine. So yeah. 
and I, and I play a kind of villain there too. So, you know, if you want to <laughs> come see another villain, uh, casting, come, come, come check it out. <laughs> Season guess, one's on Netflix. A, so <laughs> that's a question I can ask really quick and you could be as short or as long winded with it as you want. Do you prefer villains or is that just sort of where you've landed these days? Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think, I think that's just kind of where, where I've landed. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, play i play heroes just as well i i think (laughs) you know it just it's just kind of where i've landed um it's funny when um speaking of avatar when when jim was like you know first time i'm meeting him i guess i can i can probably talk about that well let's hope (laughs) let's hope i can talk about that first time i'm meeting him they're like okay so you auditioned for this thing when i auditioned they gave me old sides they gave me sides from the first film and so i come in um, I didn't, first of all, you don't know what you're auditioning with. You, you just know you have an audition. So you come in for the audition and then they hand you the sides and you're like, okay, you got to go in this room in five minutes and do that. Well, I had just watched the film. So I, and I was like, oh, old sides. Great. This is, I'm, I know what to do. And so then, um, I get a call from my agent, like probably the next day. And they're like, okay, you're going to meet Jim on Friday. And I was like, oh, okay. That's <laughs> the most surreal uh, probably working moment of my life. Um, so I go in, I go into this big sound stage, and um, he's t- he's there with the you know with the um, with the actors that that um, help him. F- basically, you know, in in film, we'll we will uh, do location scouting. So since the locations aren't real, in, uh, you know, in Avatar, they're in the you know. He has to do location scouting with um, with uh, the troop, he calls him. So the troop's there, and he starts talking to me about the technology, and he starts talking to me about, you know, um, the world. And then he's like, so is this something you'd want to do? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> you know, long, long pause. Like, yes, yes, this is something that would be a lot of fun to do. Then he's like, so what kind of characters do you play? And I was like you know, a lot of villains. And he's like, I don't see you as playing a villain at all. And then he turns and starts <laughs> continuing directing the troop. It was pretty great. But uh, yeah, that was that was like the first time I met Jim. He's a, he's a good dude. He's a good director. Obviously, we know that. But he's a, he was a teacher. He really wants to like... And I find that going back to Shira, I find that the best people, you know, are. The most talented people are teachers and they want to like not just teachers but they also want to like foster the best performance out of the people that they're working with and i mean um we had the best um booth director um and you guys had her on the show already so you know you know that already so (laughs) (laughs) oh mary she's so great yeah mary's incredible and um yeah so villains villains yeah villains I, I play some, but you know, I, I think there's some other characters that are coming out that are that will be fun for people to watch too that aren't villains. So yeah. Well I love I love that he said you didn't strike him as a villain because <laughs> this entire conversation you've just been the warmest, kindest, most generous guy. And so I don't see you as a villain either. Thank you so much for being on our show. You've just been a delight. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, man. Listen to your Thanks for listening to She-Ra, Progressive of Power. If you like our show, 
You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower.